Is everyone loving this weather? I wanted more snow, but... Right? Uh, so my, I don't know, I think we're done. I think we're done, but I don't, I don't ever remember my life this warm in February. I don't, I don't recall, but um, my memory is not great anyway. But uh, Turn with me, please, to uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. We're continuing in the uh, series here in the life of David. James being ever so gracious uh, in knowing that we can only take so much sometimes, uh, has to uh, skip some chapters, skip some stories of the life of David, or we would be doing this for a very long time, uh, this series. So, you know, he looked at what you were able to withstand, you know, how many months, and then calculated uh, which stories to cover. And so uh, that's why we're skipping chapter 24. And we're going on to 25, and we've skipped a couple other chapters in there too, but we may touch on those a little bit today. Um, at least we may, we may try to. Alright? The good thing is that I've got 25 today and chapter 26 next week. So those at least we'll, uh, we'll be able to cover in the next two weeks, Lord willing. Okay? Um, 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's a big chapter, and we are going to read almost all of it. So I need you to find that spot in your Bible. And I want you to read along silently with me as I read it out loud. Uh, it's a tremendous story. I will tell you that this, this story is a, uh, a personal a favorite of mine. Uh, I'm sure many of you are aware that Amy and I, uh, all of our children are named after characters who are our favorites in the Bible. And so all of the first names have to do with some story in the Bible that we really just, we, we love that story. And so, uh, if you're familiar already, chapter 25 deals with a girl named Abigail. And so we are, this is the reason why, as she walks up front, this is the reason why we named Abigail Abigail, uh, because of the character uh, in this story. That was pretty cool. All right. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1, chapter 25. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, or Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she, this is the reason why we named her Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him, in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, 
nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. And so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? And so that news gets back to David. David's not too happy about that. And David sends 400 men to destroy every male of Nabal's household. We're going to begin in verse 21. We'll take it from there. Okay, Abigail gets word from one of Nabal's servants that David is on the move to this place to kill everyone, uh, every male of Nabal's household. And so in verse 21, David said, had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Anybody who has the King James Version, you love that verse. I'll have you guys look it up for yourselves, but there's a way that King James describes all the males of uh, Nabal's household. It's a great verse. But So David obviously is extremely, extremely angry. And so, verse 23 now when Abigail saw, so by the way, when Abigail got word, she went on to intercede on behalf of her husband. It says, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord. Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and to seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged Himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed 
and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. Again this morning, let's just open in a word of prayer. Oh, Father, you know how enjoyable, what a delight it is to read the Old Testament stories. We're so grateful uh, for this story this morning. And our prayer this morning is that um, that you would give us understanding, that, uh, that we would see your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we would also um, be able to apply uh, truths to our lives that uh, can better glorify our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we even get into what we're going to speak on today, I want you to notice verse 1. Okay, verse 1 to me is very interesting. It's kind of thrown right here at the beginning of chapter 25. Um, and at first I'm thinking, man, this has nothing to do with the story. And then I wondered if it does have something to do with it. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But for now, I just want to point, uh, point this out here. I think this is important, is that Samuel has died. Samuel has died. And I want you to notice what it says here. It says, when he died... The entire nation gathered together to lament over him. They were grieved, right? What a tremendous testimony to that of Samuel, right? And I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, today, you know, do we have someone, a man of God, that if he were to pass away, the entire nation would lament over? I think we do, actually. I thought it was Billy Graham. You know, think about that. In the day and age that we live in, how evil this day is, how bad this day is, right? Billy Graham still is someone that the entire nation knows. It's amazing the presidents that he's prayed with and talked with, right? And we know that he's very old and very sick right now. And one of these days, we will lose a great man of God. And I think this nation will lament over that. And I don't know if there will ever be another one like that. But even as I say that, I'm wondering if they would have said the same thing then. You know what, there's not going to be another one like Samuel. But God continues to raise up great men of God who have an impact for his kingdom. But the other thing I thought about this too was, is when we consider the life of David, right? Did Samuel play an important role in the life of David? Yeah, right? It was Samuel, right, that had anointed him as king of Israel. Do you think Samuel was a source of strength? For David? I think so. Right? I think he was a source of comfort. Um, And now, Samuel's gone. And I thought about this. I thought, here's David on the run. And here, the, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, come together to lament over the death of Samuel. Do you think David was there? I don't think so. How sad that is, right? That here is a man who... um had an important role in David's life, a tremendous source of comfort and strength in his life, and David probably couldn't even be at the service to remember this great man, Samuel, because his own people, that of Saul and his army, are after him. And he's on the run, and he's in hiding. And it very well could be part of this reason why David reacts the way he does later on. We'll look at that. I don't know. 
right? Sometimes when we're going through difficult times, it's easy to respond in the flesh. Um, but the other thing I thought of too was, um, quickly, like I said, before we get into this, is, you know, there are people in our own lives, right, who have <clears throat> played an important role in our lives, right, who have been a tremendous source of comfort, a source of strength. And they're gone now, right? It's hard. It's hard when you lose someone like that. It's hard when you lose a dad. It's hard when you lose a mom, right? It's hard when you lose uh, a brother or sister who you looked up to, like I said, who played an important role in your life. That's hard. It's hard to go through that. And again, I think we need to be mindful of that. There are those in this assembly who have lost people who played an important role in their life, right? And that's hard to, to deal with when we lose someone of that significance uh, in our lives. And certainly, we grieve over that. But this is where David's at. Samuel's gone. Samuel has died. And then, what we want to look at here this morning is the first thing, and kind of setting the scene here, is we're going to look at Nabal's infraction. An infraction is a violation of an agreement or a set of rules. Or we could even say, if you want, uh, Nabal's malefaction. That means you did something wrong. What, what did Nabal do wrong? Right? What was, the, what was the big deal here? Why did David get so angry? Well, as we know, right, David is, is traveling in the wilderness right now with his 600 men. <clears throat> and they've been moving about behind the scenes, fighting various wild tribes uh, in the wilderness. <clears throat> and in the process, they were often protecting shepherds with their flocks. And that was one of the things that they would do. And when we read about that a little later on, the servant even testifies of that. <clears throat> they would protect them from these wild tribes um, in that area. In fact, the wilderness in those days, remember Brian did a great job of showing us, right, uh, that in this area here, there was, it was a very dangerous place that God called David and his men back to uh, from Moab. And in fact, uh, you might call it a high crime district. Uh, during this time. And so, according to customs of that day, right, at the time when you were shearing your sheep, okay, which we read here is that's actually what's going on here, right, um, that the owner of the animals would set aside a portion of the profits to give to those men who have protected his shepherds during this time. Okay? And so that was the custom. Um, in fact, you read that in verses 14 to 16. Uh, the servant that goes to Abigail testifies to this. He, uh, beginning in verse 14, he says, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us. We were not hurt, nor did we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping uh, the sheep. And so it was kind of like tipping a waiter, right, in a way, okay? Um, right? There's no written law for saying that you have to do it, uh, but it is a way of showing gratitude and compensation for a job well done. And so that was the custom at this time. David and his men had protected naval shepherds during this time, and when David said, hey, listen, you know what? I see you're shearing sheep right now. Anything that you can give me, I would appreciate right now. And Nabal, as it says here, instead reviles him. Reviles David and his men. So we see Nabal's infraction here. But then what we see here uh, is David's overreaction. 
David's overreaction. Um, Verse 13 of chapter 25, when David's uh, men get back and tell him uh, of Nabal's response, right? David says to his men in verse 13, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Um, So we see a tremendous contrast, I think. In chapter 24, David is on the run, right? And David is in a situation where, remember, Saul hides in the cave where David is, right? And, And the men say, look, the Lord has given Saul into your hands. Kill him and become king. Right? Turn to chapter 24, please. Turn to chapter 24. Of course, David did not allow his men to rise up against Saul. And when Saul got up and got out of the cave, uh, David then, from a distance, calls to him and talks to him. But this is the one thing I thought was neat. He says here, in his conversation with Saul, verse 12, 1 Samuel 24, verse 12. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. You see the contrast here? Just a little while ago, David realized that, you know what? Let God deal with this. In fact, if we were to title this message at all today, the title of the message would be this. Don't let them have it. Let God have it. Don't let them have it. Let God have it. And here David recognized that in just chapter 24. He says, no, no, I'll let the Lord avenge me on you. I won't put my hand on you. And yet here is one chapter later, David gets word of how he was treated poorly, just as Saul as well. right? And David said, boys, get your swords. Let's go. You know, it's interesting. As you go through this series, I'd encourage you to look at, we're looking at the successes and the failures of, of David there's tremendous parallels between these things. Uh, one of the chapters we had to skip to, uh, it's interesting that when uh, David, right, when he kills Goliath, right, um, he then at that point uh, becomes very popular. Saul becomes jealous. David goes on the run, right? Um, but when David's on the run, it's very interesting. There's a story there uh, a couple of chapters back where uh, David and his men, they come, and remember in the story of Goliath, David is coming bringing what to his brothers? He's bringing bread. Well, not too far later, wired, David is taking bread. <laughs> Interesting contrast. Hey, David, right? Um, he says, listen, I want you to know that God does not save by sword or spear. Right? He had no need of a sword. And yet, what does he ask the priest there? Hey, you got any weapons here? And guess what they gave him? Goliath's sword. Here David shows one point, I don't have no need of a sword. And in the very next couple of chapters, as he's on the run, he goes, give me a sword. And they go, all we have here is Goliath. He's like, great, I'll take it. Interesting contrast. Um, and so, there's a lot of these, these parallels, these contrasts in the life of David. Yes, times of great victory. Times of success. And then other times, well, David just kind of fails a little bit. Isn't that so true of us? Right? We cannot be too high in our times of victory <laughs> because we know in a very short while we will fall. Right? We'll stumble. We'll go back to doing what, <laughs> what we know we shouldn't do. 
And David, I just think, I love going through this. He's just a tremendous example of these things. I mean, here, he defies, right, the Philistines. Right? Remember that? I mean, he defied these uncircumcised Philistines. Guess where he runs to? After stealing the bread and taking the sword, he runs to Achish. You know who lives there? The Philistines. Do you know whose hometown that was? Goliath's. <laughs> like, David, what are you doing? You know, and again here, we see David at one moment saying, no, the Lord avenged me on you. And one chapter later, guys, get your swords. Let's go kill these guys. You know, it's interesting to me too that David, you know, he grabs um, 400 men. 400 men with their swords. You know, uh, I was thinking of that saying, right? It's like killing a fly with a shotgun. You know? I mean, David... <laughs> He was, if, if, if Abigail had not got there, like you said, there would not have been one male left in the morning. Not one. I'm sure of it. You know, there was a, um, a cartoon, right? It says this. It says, I, I heard it was you who parked next to me and put a dent in my car door. Where do you want your vaporized ashes sent? You know, and so we see this tremendous overreaction of David. And so the question is, you know, in our own uh, fallen condition is, do we tend to overreact sometimes to things? I, I do. Okay. I do. We, our tendency is to, to overreact instead of responding. And I think sometimes, like I said, it may be the context here. Samuel has just lost, uh, David has just lost someone, Samuel. Uh, that played an important role is like it may very well be susceptible to this when we're going through a hard time. Think of David. He's on the run, right? He has just lost Samuel. Very well couldn't even be a part of the services as they lamented over him, right? And then he hears this word of, of Nabal. All he wanted was just a little something that Nabal could give him and his men. And when he heard his response, David overreacted. You know, David was in his right to ask Nabal for something. It wasn't unreasonable. It was the custom of that day. You know, do we also tend to overreact sometimes when we feel that we were in the right? Right? Like we feel like someone violated our rights, and so therefore I have the right to overreact. Maybe sometimes we feel that we have the right to overreact something if, the offense was so harsh, right? It's interesting to hear Ken talk about his father, you know, and something that happened to Ken's sister, right? And to hear of his dad react to that because it was his daughter. But is it right? Sometimes we excuse that behavior because we feel, okay, if it's something to my family or something that I was in the right, well, then I have the right to overreact. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says this, See that no one, no one repays anyone evil for evil. There's never a time for us to do that. It says, But seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I was thinking of how I should, uh, can try to illustrate this, and I always love Henry Sardinia said, illustrate Scripture with Scripture, right? So there's a story uh, in the Bible where uh, we have, um, uh, is it uh, 
Jacob's sons, right? Simeon and, and Levi and Judah, those are Joseph, uh, Jacob's sons, right? Or Joseph's sons. I forget right now. Um, Joseph's? Jacob's, thank you. I was right. All right. Jacob's sons, right? And uh, something uh, very interesting. They have a sister named Dinah. They have a sister named Dinah. And there's this guy who ends up raping her. Rapes their sister. Right? And, of course, this is Jacob's daughter, too. Okay? And so they come to Jacob and to the brothers, and they say, Listen, my son who raped your daughter, she, he, he can't stop thinking about her. He wants her. We want to know if you'll give her to him as a... Uh, as a wife. And so the brothers come up with a plan. They say, you know what? We really can't do that because you guys aren't circumcised like us. You know, so if you all, everyone in your group, you know, if you all get circumcised, then we'll allow Dinah to be his wife. And they said, man, you know, that sounds pretty good. All right. You know, we'll do that. You know, he, my son here, he really wants her. And uh, we're, we're willing to do that. So sure enough, they all get circumcised. And by, on the third day, when you're not feeling too good, after that, uh, it says that I believe Simeon and Levi, I believe, um, they went and they killed every single one of them. Every one of them. Um, turn there for one second, please. I think it's Genesis 35. Remember, this is also Jacob's daughter, right? But it was certainly um, Simeon and Levi's uh, sister as well. And this is what they had done. Genesis 34, thank you, 34, chapter 34. But I want you to notice uh, Jacob's response to them. In verse 30, after they have done this, right, they overreacted. Um, and Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me. By making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. And they said, should, we, should he treat our sister like a harlot? They still, they still didn't get it. They still said, well, listen, they deserved it. Evil for evil. Right? You know, um, the law did allow um, punishment, but never for the individual. The government was allowed to punish, uh, and the punishment can never exceed the penalty. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit, but um, I want you to uh, turn there uh, to chapter 47 of Genesis. 47. So these, these gentlemen, in a moment of revenge for their sister... They killed all these males, right? And here now, um, sorry, 49, I apologize, chapter 49. Here is Jacob now, his last words to his sons, right? There's some, some of you have experienced that. That's probably a great thing to have your last moments with your dad, right? He's been parting some last words of wisdom, Right? Telling you how proud he is of you and, 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 and what you've become, right? Look what their dad says to them in verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. 
For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Guys, we have no idea the ramifications of reacting to injustice. You know, even as a parent, one of the things that's always helped me is there are times when your children will do something or say something and your tendency is to react to them, to raise your voice, to say something you shouldn't say. And I've always loved that instead of react, a good parent or anybody, anyone would respond, not react, but respond to that. To take a moment to think, right? But so many times we're angry and we react. We say something we shouldn't. Or we say it in a way that we shouldn't. You know, I was again uh, thinking of uh, in the garden there, when Judas comes and betrays Jesus, right? And, and uh, they all come, and, and Judas betrays the Lord. They're about to rest, and what does Peter do? I love Peter, man. <laughs> I love his reactions. Takes a sword out, boom, cuts the guy's right ear off. What does Jesus say? Put your sword away. Don't you know that those who uh, live by the sword die by the sword? You know, tremendous wisdom on Jesus' part. And he said, don't you know, I must take the cup that the Father has given me. Peter, what are you doing? You're overreacting. Because of an injustice. Right? We have to be careful. Repay no evil, anyone evil for evil. In fact, Jesus leaves us an example, right? Um, in First Peter chapter 2, it says that Jesus left in as an example that we should follow in his steps. It says when he was reviled against, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not utter threats. But what did he do? He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Doesn't that sound like David in chapter 24? You know what? He says, I'll let the Lord avenge you on me. I give it to the Lord. Hey, that's what the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus, He suffered. They reviled against Him. He suffered grave injustices. But He committed it all to His Father. He says, you know, God, You take care of it. And that is a tremendous lesson for us today is that we do not let them have it. Let God have it. Let God deal with it. Let God take care of it. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. You know what? There may be a family member in your life right now who has just been cruel. They have said things about you. They've said things to you. Right? Maybe there's someone in this assembly. Isn't that sad too that, you know what, in my life, I, I can't remember too many times that the, someone at my job or someone in uh, my neighborhood has reviled against me. But man, brothers and sisters, they can hurt you. Man, they can hurt you. By letters that you get things that they say to you. Right? But let's say, maybe right now, I don't know. Maybe right now, someone in this assembly has said something to you. They did something to you. They did something to your kid. Or they did something to your spouse. I don't know. And you're angry. Don't let them have it. Let God have it. Let God take care of it. He will. God will take care of it. As we're going to see in this story. But, so certainly, um, give it to him. Let him take care of it. So we see Nabal's infraction, right? And we see David's overreaction. But now let's look at Nabal's faction. 
faction. Now, as you know, a faction is like a, um, a small deserting group, right? It has to do with dissension. And the reason I say that is I want you to know who the servant goes to. Right? In this story, okay, David's men come to Nabal. They say, hey, listen, you know, David wants to know if you've got anything for us. You know, we'd appreciate it. He responds. He reviles against them. And one of his servants, right, who these guys had actually guarded and protected, who does he go to? Abigail. <laughs> yeah. He goes to Abigail. I think that's very interesting. Why does he go to Abigail? Well, look what he says in uh, chapter 25, verse 17. The servant goes to Abigail. He tells him what happens, right? Tells him how good David's men have been. And then in verse 17, he says, Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master, <coughs> excuse me, and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot even speak to him. I mean, that tells you that Nabal was unapproachable. Right? Even earlier in the chapter, we read that um, he was harsh and evil in his doings. You know, guys, we do not want to be people who are unapproachable. You know, there, there are some who have a reputation that you're harsh. That nobody can even speak to you. Hey, that's not how God's people should be. We should not be people who are unapproachable. That all, you're always wondering, like, why do they always go to these other people? Why do they not come to me? Because you're unapproachable. Hey, that's what Nabal was here. There was this faction, even amongst his group, where here's a servant. He doesn't even want to go to Nabal. He said, I'll go to Abigail. She has good understanding. Hey, but my master here, Nabal, you know, he, he's unapproachable. And so, you know, just a few verses, I think, that um, can apply to this. Is In Titus chapter 3, verse 2, it says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, I like this, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's how we should be. Right? We should be showing perfect courtesy towards all people. First Peter says this, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope Right? That is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Second Timothy says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And lastly, in James chapter 3, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We do not want to be like Nabal. We don't want to be ones who are unapproachable. We are harsh. Anyone should be able to come to you and say, listen, brother and sister, as iron sharpens iron, I see this in your life, and I'm concerned about it. You should be able to graciously say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to say that to me. And if you feel... You feel like, you know what, I feel like nobody ever talks to me, nobody ever comes to me. Just check yourself. Say, listen, am I approachable? Am I showing courtesy? Am I being gentle? You know, what are my facial expressions like? You know, what is my body language like? Is it in such a way where people say, you know what, I just can't approach that lady. I can't approach that guy. But I love this here. Let's look at Abigail's distraction. So we have Nabal's infraction, we got David's overreaction, and then we see Nabal's faction, 
But look, look at Abigail's distraction. And of course, a distraction is something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Thank goodness for her distraction, right? Okay. Uh, look at this here. When she comes to David in verse 23, she dismounts quickly from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. And here, I would like you to hear the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. Look at verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. She didn't do anything. (laughs) But here she identifies with her husband and she says, On me, on me let this iniquity be. What a tremendous, tremendous example of our Savior. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ, He didn't do anything wrong. He did absolutely nothing. He was perfect in every way. And yet, He allowed our iniquity to be placed on Him. Our sin to be placed on Him. But not only that, we see her tremendous humility. Right? In this conversation that she has with David, six times, six times she says to him, I am your maidservant. Okay? The word maidservant uh, is a bondmaid or a female slave. Right? They'd never even met before. Okay? She's the wife of a very rich businessman. David is a guy, although she certainly knows what's going on. We're going to get to that in a second. But he's a guy who's on the run. Right? He is a, a fugitive. Right? But in humility, six times she addresses herself as a maidservant. Not only that, eight times. Eight times she addresses David as my Lord. My Lord. The word there uh, means master or owner or controller. Tremendous humility on the part of Abigail. You know, it was pride, right, that actually caused Nabal to say what he said. It was pride that caused David to react the way he did. Up to this point, everything that's going wrong is because of pride. Right? We know it's pride, right, that leadeth to destruction. Here, there was going to be great disaster because of these two men's pride. Praise God for a woman who had humility as she approached David and bowed herself low before him. But not only that, it's interesting to me that as she talks to David, she knows who he is, she knows what has happened, and she knows who he will become. I find that fascinating. Okay? She, she says right here in verse 29, a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. How does she know that? Okay? She knows that Saul is out to get him. But not only that, later on she says, and it shall come to pass in verse 30, that the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. She knows whom David is to become too. How does she know all this? <laughs> she had to hear it from someone, right? She had to have heard it. Listen, <clears throat> even though many do not recognize it, right? there were many who did not recognize David as king, right? but she knew. Today we're living in a day where many do not recognize it, and they do not recognize Jesus for who He is, but we know who Jesus is. And we know what has happened, don't we? 
And we know who we is to become, don't we? How did Abigail know this? Someone told her. She heard it from someone. We're living in a world, brothers and sisters, where they need to hear about this. They need to to hear who Jesus is. They need to hear what has already happened. And they need to hear who he is to become. The world needs to hear it from us. But she distracts him, right? She distracts David, and I want you to look at David's retraction. Right? A retraction is a withdrawal of a statement or an undertaking. And David, of course, he decides not to overreact. He decides not to shed bloodshed. Right? He decides not to get revenge and to avenge himself. And I think this is a tremendous, tremendous lesson for us as far as the life of David here. You know, David listens to her. Again, David has never met this woman before. This is the wife of his enemy. But he humbled himself enough to listen to what this woman had to say. I mean, you, you saw how angry he is. He is furious. Right? And if, as they come around this mountain and they meet up with Abigail... You know, I could just see him saying, listen, get out of here. We'll take your stuff anyway, and we're still going to go kill your husband. Okay? And all the other males. You know, we appreciate you coming to us, but you know what? Forget it. Okay? Maybe he didn't even have to give her the time of day. You know, as she bowed herself low, he could have just kept on going. But he humbled himself to listen to her and to heed sound advice. Right? He even testifies that later. He says, blessed is your advice and blessed are you. You know, how willing are we to heed sound advice? Too often, right? We think we got it all figured out and we know what we're going to do. We know what's going to work best for us and our family and for uh, whatever it is, right? Our job. And, and we're willing, unwilling to just humble ourselves and listen to someone who may be sent to us from the Lord. Again, as he recognizes too, right? He says that uh, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. I think it's a tremendous testimony to David. A man after God's own heart that was willing to stop and listen to this woman. Right? A woman who had good understanding, but David didn't know that. And David was willing to listen to this woman's wisdom. And of course, retract his undertaking. You know, one fool is enough in this story. Right? Nabal's name means fool or foolish. Right? Abigail, I love her name. Her name means um, the father of exaltation or uh, father of joy or father's joy. Right? Um, one, one fool is enough in this story. If David had continued to do what he did, we would see two fools in this story. And many times, right, when someone is a fool, right, and does something to you that offends you or gets you upset, right, if you are to react and avenge for yourself, all you do is become a fool as well. Let there only be one fool in your stories. (laughs) Let them be the fool. Let God have it. Don't let them have it and be a fool yourself. And also, I think it's so important here, right, 
Praise God for wonderful women. Praise God for wonderful women full of wisdom who have made a huge difference in our lives. Amen? Okay. David will look back on the rest of his life as she had testified. She goes, you don't want to become king and then regret this day. What happens, right? Each and every one of us here can testify to a wonderful woman in our lives, full of wisdom, who made a difference in our lives. Whether it was your mom, whether it's your wife, whether it's a sister in the Lord, whoever it is, I praise God for wonderful women. Full of wisdom. Take an opportunity to thank them. Call up your mom. Tell your wife. Tell who it is in your life that has made a difference in your life. Thank them. Thank them. But this is great here. So we see David's retraction. And then we see God's extraction. Nabal is removed from the scene. (laughs) So you see, David heeded Abigail's advice. He did not take matters into his own hands. And so God dealt with it. Right? Uh, Abigail goes home. We didn't read this part, but Abigail goes home. (laughs) Her husband is so drunk, she can't even tell him that night. The next morning, she tells him all that took place. That David was coming to kill you. I brought some gifts to him. I, I... I was able to get him to turn around and go back home, so you're okay now. And at that point, I'm not sure what happens uh, as far as physically, but it says that his heart died within him and uh, he became a stone. So maybe there was some sort of stroke that happened, some sort of paralysis that happened. Um, But in my opinion here, it's interesting is that it's not till 10 days later, I believe. um, Yeah, 10 days that the Lord strikes him dead. You know, I can't help but think, here is a harsh man, a foolish man. Even after his wife tells him this story, and at that moment, he has this stroke or becomes paralyzed, he still refuses to change his ways. That's my opinion. I don't know, ten days even after this, and the Lord says finally, you're getting out of here, man. God deals with this foolish man, with Nabal. Okay? Listen, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you believe that? Listen, I have to believe that if I'm going to have faith in this God. Because when I look around today and I see the injustices that happen to little babies and to women and and sex trafficking and things like that, I say, God, you better balance all the books. And he will. He will. I can give that to God and know that God will deal with it. I don't have to avenge myself. And there may be some of you who have actually been wronged horribly. Horribly. You can trust that God will take care of that one day. That God will balance all the the books. He'll take care of that. Vengeance is His, says the Lord. It's not ours. We are not to avenge ourselves. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew 
Matthew uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so again, the law had said it, right? It was, it was both a command to punish um, and a limitation on punishment. Um, the penalty could never exceed uh, the crime. But look what happens here. He says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, right, that's the undergarment, right, eh, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You see, Jesus goes beyond the law to a higher righteousness by abolishing retaliation altogether. There is no retaliation for us, brothers and sisters. We do not repay evil for evil. We do not avenge ourselves. We do not revile against those who revile against us. Jesus here says, no, I've abolished retaliation altogether. Listen, where once revenge was legally permissible, now non-resistance is graciously possible. That's how we live our lives. Non-resistance. He says, do not resist an evil person. Okay, commit it to God. Give it to Him. Job. We know Job, right? And, and the, the, the things that he endured, he comes to this conclusion in Job chapter 5, verse 8. He says, I will seek God, and to God I will commit my cause. That's what we need to do as brothers and sisters. Give your cause to God. Don't take it matters into your own hands. Give it to Him. And also, this Nabal is removed from the scene. Uh, tremendous pictures here. I love this, and uh, I shared a little bit this morning uh, at the breaking of bread. But we see that um, once Nabal is removed uh, from the scene, um, David sends his men to Abigail and asks her to be his bride. And so there's a tremendous picture here. Uh, Luke chapter 14 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Nabal exalted himself and God struck him dead. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Abigail humbled herself and she became the wife of the king. You know, Nabal is, I think, a beautiful picture of the law. And Abigail is a picture of us. In Romans chapter 7, Just turn there and we'll close with this. Abigail could not marry David until Nabal was dead. God took care of that. You know, I wondered if if Abigail, I don't know how long she was married to Nabal, but I wonder if she ever daydreamed, if she ever wondered what it would be like to be married to a nice husband. (laughs) I wonder if she ever worried, wondered about what it would be like to be married to anyone other than this harsh, foolish, evil man. You know? I don't know. Um, but, Nabal dies, and David sends his men and says, David wants you to be his bride. I can't help but think, I think that was a day of joy for Abigail. And she became the wife, not only of a king, 
but the wife of a man who was a man after God's own heart. And I'm sure he loved her. And so in here, in Romans chapter 7, we see uh, a tremendous picture here between Nabal and Abigail of us as well. You see, the death of Nabal freed Abigail from the law so that she could marry another husband, David. In Romans chapter 7, it says this, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And so here we see that Abigail was free from the law. Her husband had died, and so she was free to marry now another. But how does that apply to us? Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when you, we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It was the same with us, right? Right? For us, we have become dead to the law so that we can become the bride of a king. That through the body of Christ, we might be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to that, we could not do that. Prior to being saved from the law, having been made dead to the law, that was not possible. But now because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can now have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, do not let them have it. Let God have it. Let's pray. Our Father, we are truly amazed. Um, We are in awe this morning at Thy Son's example. We're so thankful that in every aspect of His life, He committed Himself to His Father. Even when people falsely accused Him, even when He went through unnecessary humiliation, even when He was reviled against and He suffered, He continued to let you have it, committed the things to you. Lord God, we know in our lives um, there have been those who have reviled against us. And if not, Lord, there may be a day coming. Lord God, help us not to react Lord, help us not to let them have it, but to let you have it. Pray that there's only one fool in our stories. Lord God, we're so thankful for your precious word. Help us, uh, Lord, as we try to understand it and apply it to our lives. 
We ask all these things in accordance to your will with much thanksgiving and that you may be glorified in and through our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.